Hello and welcome to Getting to Grow, the podcast dedicated to unearthing the stories of some of the best brands in the food and wellness space, hosted by myself and Sam. Each episode we chat to founders, experts and industry professionals who each have their own personal journeys. We discover how they built their business, what's next and everything in between. This episode we spoke to Rachel and Neil, founders of The Virgo Co., a company dedicated to revolutionising fast food through the power of plants. We spoke to Rachel and Neil about how a trip to California changed the way they thought about food, their humble beginnings as a market stall in 2016, and the effects the pandemic have had on their business. Um, so hi there, Rachel and Neil. Thank you so much for joining Getting to Grow. Um, we're super excited to have you on. I am a massive fan of the Virgo Co. Myself, I absolutely love, like I, yeah, delicious plant-based burgers. So super keen to understand how you guys kind of came about your um, your first entry into the market from like your market stores, your actual stores. So I'm going to go straight in. Um, so Rachel and Neil, the founders, how did you guys meet? Well, thank you so much for having us. It's such a pleasure to be here, um, especially in these times. Honestly, thank you for everything that you guys are doing also. Um yeah, I mean, next <laughs> next week we celebrate our fifth birthday in business. So that's pretty oh, phenomenal. Nice. Kind of, yeah, it's, it's really awesome to have gotten to that point. But thinking back, um, so we are actually partners in life and in business. So we've known each other since university, basically. And um, I, I was very set from university on becoming a fashion buyer. That was my career in my mind. Same as me, um, both ended up in food. <laughs> exactly. I think somewhere along the way, everyone ends up in food. That's what I say to everyone I speak to. It's just such a passion of everyone that I speak to. It's yeah. everyone enjoys having an awesome meal. It doesn't matter who you are. So I think, um, yeah, and anyway, I became, this was my idea in life. I really wanted to become a fashion buyer. So I moved to um, London. I joined the Fashion Retail Academy and then just continued on in my career there. Um, Where, where's home where were you brought up we are both from Wales actually um, okay, nice. I was born in Swansea and I went to university in Cardiff and Neil was born well you can say yeah not far <laughs> away yeah a small town close to Swansea and I went to uh, University of Clamorgan which is now I think the University of South Wales Sounds um, very Welsh. But yeah, it's, um, it's it near Cardiff, basically. It is. Yeah. And um, we, Neil studied law in university and wanted to become a lawyer. And, you know, you have all these dreams at 18, 19, 20 years old. And then you realise, hey, maybe this isn't quite working out as you really think. Um, I think Neil then joined um, a bank and became an analyst and... It wasn't really, we, we kind of both did that career, didn't we, until we became 30, really. And it was at that turning point when you turned 30 and realized, are you actually making a difference in this world? Like, well, what are we contributing to life? And I think um, we turned 30, we took this trip to California and we realized um, how well you can actually eat in California because Neil was suffering really badly with stomach issues. He had done for like 10 years and no doctor could figure out what was wrong. Um, nobody attributed it to what he was eating. And it really became um, a personal mission then to kind of figure out, okay, what's going on with Neil's stomach? And he had so many different operations and things and no one ever figured it I out. I find it amazing, sorry, just sidetracking, yeah. but like you speak to the doctors about stomach issues and they're straight away like, here's a drug, here's a drug, take this pill, take this pill. And it's like, Literally. has anybody actually asked you what you're putting in your body? Because like, surely, and I'm, I'm no nutritionist or anything, but like, 
to me that is just so but obviously because I work in food so it's obviously like at the forefront of my mind but at the same time it's like that's such a like lifestyle factors are so massive yeah. in that kind of thing that you're like I never understand where they're like oh take this antibiotic and you'll be better and it's like all you're doing is like putting a plaster on the issue here. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And this was, I guess, you started kind of 10, 15 years ago. So I suppose it's amazing how much that knowledge has improved even in the last yeah. five years. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I think it's it's very strange looking back now to think how I went so many years struggling with the same problem. Mm. Um, and really, I, you know, I don't know for sure because I've never really gone back and figured it out in in retrospect, but it it was definitely something I was eating. You know, it was definitely a combination of the of the junk yeah. in my body. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I think it became then when we went to California and we started eating amazing plant-based foods. Just, we happened to be, we weren't really scoping them out. It, we, we just gravitated towards those kind of really nice restaurants, nice environment, that kind of thing. And um, we, we just found ourselves feeling better. And you know, when you're on holiday and just have that nice kind of mm. that nice vibe. And then um, you started feeling mm. better as a result. And um, we came back to London and it was then trying to fix how our mindset was changing and then researching into, okay, well, what does veganism actually mean? How can we introduce that into our lifestyle what does you know what is the wider impact of the word vegan and we just went hard at researching that honestly we we were just um reading books and watching documentaries and I think it was that eye-opening time for us that we realized okay this is our transition to veganism this is what we want to do but the world outside of our little bubble didn't really welcome that kind of way of living back in 2016. It was very much a pushback. If we mm. wanted a casual burger somewhere and um, we wanted to pop to, you know, the, the cool place in town back, back in 2016, it was very much, um, we were ostracized or kind of, what do you mean a vegan burger? Yeah. What's, it, what's was, it would have been like a shack in like yeah. Bethnal Green. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> no one understood that way of like eating at all. Or if they did, it was considered not cool enough for anyone to pay attention to, a, you know, flavors and textures and just really giving it some passion. It just lacked any energy or anything at all. It was, it was boring to be honest so we ended up making as a result quite a lot at home so we kind of we weren't able to eat out as much as we really would have beforehand but then we ended up feeling better as a result um but then we kind of hit this um position where we were like well if we're struggling with this problem I'm more than sure other people are struggling with this. They'll surely people want to go out and have a vegan burger and fries and a shake and just chill out somewhere. And that's really how the whole business idea came to life. Mm. And we were like, okay. Was there a light bulb moment? Were you like literally like that? It was literally like that. I think just understanding that if we're suffering with this problem, I'm, I, I almost guarantee others are. And then we started asking like friends, family, okay, if we did this, guys, would you actually try a vegan burger? And at first everyone's like, no. But then you yeah. put the food in front of them and ask them to eat it. And that was a whole different conversation. Oh, this is vegan. Oh, yeah. wow, this is really nice. And they were- It's exactly you know, the same like with our chock pots. So at Coconut Collaborative, yeah. like people, as soon as they try a chock pot and you say the word vegan, people are like, oh, you know, we're it tastes very nice or whatever and then they try our chocolates and they're like oh my god these are delicious and I'm like yes 
they totally are and they taste insane and they're completely plant-based so yeah you're so right it's getting that trial for people to be like wow this is divine yeah it exactly. really was and that's basically how when we began on this journey we were still working full-time in our jobs um mainly to fund like the the research part of what we were doing and we started as a market store to kind of gain exactly that gain that feedback from the consumer and see is where, this where was your first market store we um Tottenham green yeah, it was in Tottenham because honestly, because that was the only place that actually would accept a vegan burger market stall at the time. It's really hard. Yeah, it was, we found it really difficult getting into markets. I think in our minds it was like, oh, well, this will be all right. This will be quick and easy and we can try things out quickly. But it's actually really hard getting into like the big markets, um, especially when you don't have any experience, you don't have mm. any background. So, yeah, they were great, actually. There's a, a lady, Marika, who who I think maybe still runs it, but used to run Tottenham Green Market, and she was just amazing. She welcomed, you know, new stuff. Um, she was keen to to see, like, all different things happening at the market. We had all sorts of different stuff. So, And she supported small traders, and I think yeah. when you're starting out, that's such an important thing for anybody in, in any kind of career yeah. who wants to start something new. Just having someone who welcomes you into that community can make all the difference. And I so think if we didn't have someone who welcomed us at that mm. welcomed us at that point, I think it would have been such a I don't know where we would have gone to yeah. exposure, you know. It's a great place actually as well. It's like mm-hmm. a really great community, you know, very lively, very like bustling every Sunday it was really busy and people it? love giving their feedback yeah that's the crucial thing people love telling you whether it's great or awful or <laughs> I preferred last week's one guys change it yeah. up yeah. it was just such a nice that's what we needed though right and it was it was what we needed to make that difference um and help us grow as as people and learn and I remember this one time when when we were about to begin and we didn't even know how to put the little gazebo up. So we had YouTube tutorial to like understand how to do that. Just so many little things that you don't think about when you're starting a food business that in fact you really need to know. Not Mm. not mention the like health and safety. Yeah, I was going to say all that (laughs) stuff as well. And were you making, so were you going to the market with like your pre-made burger mix or were you like making everything like on the stand? Were you bringing the buns like where were you getting the food one but you literally just going Sainsbury's for example so that's such a great question because at the time it was really really difficult to find a um producer of vegan buns at all in London honestly it was oh of course I was only thinking about the substance I wasn't thinking about the buns so so from from that to um you know the the sources, so things like vegan mayo back in the day wasn't really a thing, or if it was, they were imported from the US. So it was so expensive for mm. a small brand to make, kind of make that burger margin make sense. It was impossible. So we had to learn and learn a lot quite quickly in the sense of how to make our own vegan mayo base, how to make our own vegan patties, how to like every, every single last element of that burger we were making ourselves. So we got, um, we made sure that our home was registered um, with the authority so that we could make everything here. And um, we literally made everything in our house. And then we would um, pack it all in a little van on a Sunday, get there for like 6 a.m., set it all up with our grill and serve customers, literally just myself and Neil, prep everything, serve everything, go home at the end of the day and then pack it all down, wipe it all down. That's the worst part, right? And, and then yeah, God, always the worst part. Oh, God. 
hats down <laughs> when it's raining and you've oh. only taken like 20 quid all day because no one bothered coming out you know we've definitely you know, had those days and were you so were you buying your food from just supermarkets no we did no, we, we did use suppliers from the start oh, you did, we, um, you did use it yeah we found a couple of really good suppliers a couple of them we still use actually but um we but went yeah to, we went to a wholesaler yeah, didn't we exactly in um oh, where it was, was borough first yeah, borough market. we went to borough market that was the first time that we ever discovered borough market we were like oh my god why have we never been here before i um, love borough we used yeah. to buy all of our veg there at like 4 a.m we used to visit the the guy who owned the little veg place and we got to know him really really well and yeah, we just made a whole bunch of connections that we were mm. like, this is a whole different London that we never even knew existed. Yeah. How cool is this? And um, It's interesting that you did go straight to wholesalers and suppliers and stuff, because lots of people that we've spoken to that started their own business, that's a food brand and not necessarily, yeah. well, yeah, basically all of them, because um, that's what the podcast is about, have started by going to Tesco, Retro, Sainsbury's because they right. didn't know about wholesalers. It was more like, well, I know I can get my food there. So it's right. interesting that you went straight to to wholesale I think I think it was like a half half decision Probably I think half half yeah I think half of it came from Neil's very analytical so from the beginning he's always like okay this margin has to make sense Rachel and I'm just like oh let's just go to Tesco it's fine <laughs> yeah it's I'm fine. literally I'm like you <laughs> yeah. but I think so it definitely came from your suggestions I'm I imagine I think probably but I I think um it, it was funny you know we did I, I do remember once or twice going to Tesco and getting like 40 lettuces and things like that <laughs> and they don't like it you know they really don't we had a we had a message once uh, we did it an online shop I remember I think we must have missed the wholesale or something yeah and then we had an email from Tesco basically saying like if you carry on placing orders like that we're going to basically cut you off from the online shopping because I think they must they obviously don't plan for people to buy 40 lettuces so when you do that it screws their like you know their whole kind of stock plan so it's like um, when they stopped people buying ginger tomatoes in COVID. It was you guys pre pre the pandemic yeah. that you were already doing that. <laughs> exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hoarders. But the worst yeah. thing sometimes the supermarkets have well, almost always they have cheaper prices than the wholesalers. Sometimes, yeah. So for a small brand, at that I'm, quantity. Yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised that they're going to supermarkets to buy their produce because if they're selling it at half the price or lettuce at fifty p rather than one pound ten or whatever. Mm. Where are you going to go as a small yeah. brand? Of course, you're going to head to the supermarket. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. But um, yeah. that, that drove the decision. Yeah. So you're making your patties at home, like your pre-mix, and then going, and I'm assuming, like, a, I'm, I'm envisioning you putting this massive Tupperware in your boot of just, like, <laughs> mix. Um, getting there, packing up, and then, sorry, like, packing it all up in and making it look all good and then selling your stuff. And then... Yeah. So you obviously did this for kind of what four or five months, or was More it longer than that? Probably six months. We went on for seven months, actually. Seven months. And then, yeah. So we started in something like end of June, July, mm. and then and you was, were still had your full time jobs at this point. Yeah. This was literally yeah. like and Friday then, nights making. Oh my god! Nobody yeah. knew that we were doing this in our spare time. So we would go. We would obviously make everything on a Saturday, sell it on the Sunday pack everything down, go to work on a Monday, like absolutely shattered. And oh everyone would be God. like, how was your weekend, guys? And separately, we'd be like, oh, yeah, fine. Didn't do very much, chilled. <laughs> <laughs> and then every, and obviously we'd have black, like dark circles <laughs> under our eyes and we'd be absolutely shattered. And everyone comes in with energy on a Monday. <laughs> and we're just like, oh, God, I just can't be bothered. It's like our yeah. little fight club, wasn't it? Yeah, like a little fight club. Yeah. Like about. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. 
So James on the side, and then yes, yeah, so seven months came, and I'm assuming you were like, okay, I love doing this. I need to make this permanent. I think yeah, I think it was of. the customer feedback that we were getting, and just how positive everyone was towards us, and especially as we got towards the end of that seven months, and people were kind of craving what we were giving mm. to the marketplace, and we had done by that point. We had also done um, like small pop-ups um, in East London. So we had like a Saturday and Sunday residency where people could come down and have more than just like a grilled burger. They could have, you know, the whole experience kind of thing with a shake and everything. And I think it was through that experience that our, com- you know, the community that we built on Instagram, for example, really started to get behind us. And they really wanted a more permanent place that they could come and visit us, for example. And they got kind of addicted to the little things that we were doing in the pop-up or, you know, the, the new flavors that they were having. And then suddenly back in 2016, it's, it's easy to say now, but back then it wasn't really a thing to kind of tag in your restaurant and share yeah. a burger or whatever. But suddenly, you know, the, the hashtag vegan or vegan burger was becoming super popular. Um, and we were really trending on most hashtags back in, back in the day. And um, suddenly we were gaining more and more kind of traction as a result. And On it, Instagram. Yeah, definitely. And that's almost always where we would gain our new customers from. In, right in the, the early days, yeah, Instagram was really important. It was so important to um, how people found out about us. And then afterwards, um, how we kind of learned a lot about the importance of influencers and, and how they how they really do have a a huge impact on what happens within small businesses like ours. We invited a few people down in those early days and they kind of had really great things to say about us. And it was through that, that kind of learning curve that we realized, Oh, okay. We should probably do more of this. And then we kind of built more and more for community as a result. Yeah. So community was massively important to you in the early days. Like it wouldn't be where it was without that community without a shadow of a doubt that it was everything to us and it was actually the reason why um in those early days we kind of I guess not overlooked but we didn't really understand um how expensive it would be to have our own restaurant physical restaurant and I think it was um through the the kind of research that we realized okay well we're going to need some investment and it was through that journey that we realized okay well and, and when we were speaking to investors, veganism wasn't really a thing that people were talking about. Most people would say to us that. Yeah, it's too new, wasn't it? Do you know what? It won't work or, or how can you compete? Or We had all these questions, which I'm sure we'll go into. But the, the main thing that we did have back then was the community. So we thought, well, how can we raise money and utilize what we do have? And that's basically how we opened our first restaurant was through crowds funding okay and it was through um, our community that really pushed that that kind of thought in our head where they were like well we'll definitely support you so whether it was 10 pounds that they were investing or you know 50 100 pounds it ended up being a really successful raise for us and then that's actually how we opened our first restaurant in Shoreditch that's amazing that like you had that backing of consumers that were yeah. genuinely like super interested and loved the brand so much and the product that they were like yeah we'll do it and I think the more and more people we speak to crowdfunding is like a massive massive yeah um like plays a massive part because it gives like yeah people that are genuinely passionate like a chance to invest whereas like I don't have 
4 million that I can invest into you guys. Whereas like, yeah, I might have, you know, some savings over after like, you know, my, my paycheck at the end of the month. And like, it's a more feasible way for me to get involved and invest and feel part of it. So it's yeah. such, a, I think crowdfunding is like fantastic. Yeah. It's it, it such really a purpose. Is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It was it became so important for us and, and such, as you said, you know, friends, family could get involved mm. and they could feel a part of your journey and feel like they were sharing a part of your journey. And then in turn, they would share, oh, I've invested 50 pounds in the Virgo Corps. Why don't you guys do the same? And then we would see that snowball. And back in when we actually raised in 2017, um, it, it again wasn't really a thing. No vegan restaurant had ever crowdfunded on the platform that we were on at the time. So it was a new thing. So we, again, didn't have a precedent. So there was nobody to ask at the time. Um, no other rest, vegan restaurant had done this. Um, so we kind of had to set the stall out and be like, oh, hey guys, this is who we are and what we're trying mm. to do. And we've been doing these pop-ups and we've been, we've been doing all of this, but believe in us. So I think we really felt this sense of, needing people to to just believe in us so we were doing anything and everything to make sure that our food was perfect all the time and people could always come and try something with us so um I think that really drove us in in those early days for sure yeah. and how much how much did you um make in terms of your total funding in 2016 so we went on I think the target was 180,000 right yeah. initially so we yeah. went on we kind of worked out what we think we needed for the first site um, and a bit more and that was about 180,000 and we we were planning for like a 30-day campaign I think it was 30 days mm-hmm. um, but we raised the 180,000 in the first day what I know so we were like <laughs> we hadn't really planned for that honestly we had all these things like planned out for in the, the month. first day and, yeah we had like different events planned out for the first few weeks and um, then we had to kind of like God. quickly within the first day Crowdcube were coming to us and saying okay what do you want to do because you can either close <laughs> at that number or you can extend it which we hadn't even given any thought to we hadn't yeah, planned to raise anything more than that because nobody um nobody believed in it honestly because you you wrote the word vegan and restaurant and even even the people on the platform were like oh not sure how this is going to go guys but we'll give it a shot you know it was that kind of vibe because he, when you look at the world today 2021 and how many vegan raises there have been since that point it's it's obvious you can put millions behind that but but back then it was a different story nobody really understood what it was or what it meant or there was no proven track record so i think it was yeah we have seen that in one day was that is absolutely insane I bet you guys must have yeah you must have got home at the end of the day and been like um (laughs) now what (laughs) it did it gave us a kind of a nice problem to have because then we had to kind of think very fast about whether we wanted to extend it or not you know Crowdcube was saying you're literally about to get to the target so you're kind of going to need to make a quick decision. Um, so we did, and we, we pushed it up to 300,000, um, which we got in three days, which was ridiculous, like really ridiculous. We had uh, probably about 20,000 of that up front yeah. that we knew about, and the rest of it was just like momentum and people talking about it. And yeah, we had some crazy people coming in and putting in like 40,000, and we were like, you don't even, you've never even spoken to us. Like, it's just you. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, really people just were like there's 40 blimey we just had like a random 40,000 of course you get the email from Crowdcube on your phone and you're like someone's just invested and you get used to seeing it because people are mostly putting in like 10 pounds so there's like 100 emails a day where people are just pinging into your inbox and then suddenly one drops in and it's like 40,000 and you're like 
Oh, okay. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So it became like such a, um, I don't know, we we were so grateful at that time that people believed in us. And we just took that, that feeling and energy. And we were just like, okay, we've really got to make this work now. Yeah, Yeah. there's no going back now. The thing is, I imagine, I mean, I don't know, but I imagine opening a restaurant is like building a house, you think it's going to cost 10 quid, it costs you 100 quid. So actually, so actually having your 300 instead of your yeah. 180 was probably yeah. like such actually a godsend and you needed oh, yeah. it it really was oh, yeah. yeah yeah I think little we were very kind of naive in in a sense that we thought 180 would actually be okay so thank the lord that it went really well because we definitely needed the full the full amount um so that was to open your Shoreditch um site yes yeah. exactly that was our first site and then that um so the crowd raise was um august it closed in 2017 and then we opened shoreditch um a few months later in march, march 2018 yes okay so it's not like it's relative it's not still a baby in kind of in, in its infancy it's not like a a brand that's been around you didn't open it 2016 you know it's it's very still quite new so it's great yeah. that you've get all this traction and stuff and then obviously speaking through to you know the, did you have like a launch um like a launch day and then you were like does that and is that when you invited the influencers down and you like did you cut the ribbons like you know famous Something like that, yeah, yeah <laughs> we definitely just lent on the people who um you know came into those pop-ups and and came to that first kind of market stall and the people who've kind of followed us along the way and kept saying oh, I've invested in you, can't wait for your restaurant to open. So we kind of made a note of those people along the way, um, almost made them our little Bible in a sense. Yeah, That's where it paid off, right? Because we not many restaurants open the door with like 15,000 Instagram followers, um, which is kind of what we did, isn't it? And it really helped. It really did help. And we just kept, we kept those people almost like our friends and and Mm. we really wanted to keep, um, keep them kind of engaged with what we were doing and, and, obviously the restaurant news was kind of the biggest thing that we had going on. So we were, um, we reached out to everybody. We had a big party. We obviously had a brand new menu with new options. We really elevated ourselves to make it more of a restaurant kind of environment for everybody also. And then we had to hire a team, figure out all all of that. And um, it was just such a nice time to be opening a vegan restaurant also I think the world by 2018 was also more open yeah it was ready the word itself and more and more kind of product launches were happening in that space also so it kind of all just felt like the the right time um but you know we were still making every single burger in like a separate production kitchen so we we made sure that everything that we were doing had a centralized point and a centralized team for production the reason we did that was to make sure that we always wanted our business to be scalable. We didn't want to have a restaurant where that's the only one that we're having and everything's made out the back kind of thing. We really wanted to, to kind of have that um, set up from, from the start. So we always went into it with the mindset of let's really make Shoreditch fly and then let's kind of build it from there. And it, it really has been the, the most successful restaurant um, that we've, we've ever done. And well, until covid hit of course and then we had to re- reassess life but um we'll we'll talk about that in a second i was gonna say <laughs> let's very nicely introducing us to a bit more of the present day so did you only have shoreditch at this time 
No, no. We, we were Canary lucky. Wharf. Yeah, yeah, we opened yeah. Canary Wharf. Pretty Which much. is a great place, by the way, in the, in the middle of COVID, Canary Wharf is... Oh, so perfect. buzzing. <laughs> yeah. So, so happy with that. <laughs> um, but Canary Wharf was a great place to have because Shoreditch was very much our kind of influencer crowd, you know, the Shoreditch kind of customer. who Kind of like your flagship. Yeah, yes, yeah. definitely. They love to come on a weekend chill with their friends, you know, take a photo of their food, post about it, talk about it. That's that customer. When we opened Canary Wolf, and that was at the end of 2018. So within the same year, we opened two, almost within six months. Um, we, the, the customer was completely different. They did not want to kind of hang around or chat or, or take images of their food. It was a whole new kind of understanding learning curve for us. And it was all about speed and efficiency. So we suddenly had to reconfigure our whole kitchen for a whole new new customer, basically. And our food had to be out in a certain amount of time. Our um, customer needed that food in a certain amount of time. And it was just all about the process. So it really helped us kind of um, drill down on what Uh, you know the the differences in our consumer and how we can target two different consumers at once at that point in time Mm -hmm. it was just such a learning curve for us so So interesting actually because it's not even like they're that far from each other but you've already got like a totally different consumer within like the same within london oh it was so it was so different wasn't it and canary wolf's a a great place you know ordinarily i'm sure it will eventually get back to to where it was but um, you, you get this really steady trade. So we could predict pretty much within a few hundred quid a week, like what we were going to do. You know, you just know every lunchtime between 12 and two, you're going to do 80% of your trade. Yeah. And then the rest of it just trickles in around that. So you could, it was really easy to run in the sense you could, you could plan a rotor really well and it was very yeah. easy to manage. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That changed quite quickly. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's bring us to, I guess, present day ish. We're going to go back a year. Mm. Yeah, March twenty third, Boris shuts everything down. Yeah, what what did you guys do? I remember so... we were actually sitting in the car, weren't we? Mm-hmm. We'd just been uh, just been food shopping, ironically, and um, we were just like. It had been bubbling a little bit in London. We kind of heard the stories. There were a couple of like positive COVID results in and around um, Canary Wharf. And one of the team actually texted us at the time. And she was like, this is happening, guys. Do you have any information? Someone in one of the banks had tested positive. Yeah, oh, yes, I remember, remember that. that story. Yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 and I remember. But the government weren't taking it seriously, or they at least there wasn't a, a kind of a story at the time. It was very much hush, hush. Oh, that's that bank's problem. Don't worry, guys. And that, that was the directive from pretty much everywhere. So we we kind of waited until that time, and, and then suddenly it was, okay, well... This is our reality now. But our first and primary goal um, was taking care of our team, pretty much that and that alone. So we um, we immediately closed all of our restaurants. We didn't even open them for, um, for takeaway. We wanted to make sure that everyone was safe at home. Nobody had to travel, you know, via transport, you know, underground or anything. And um, we made a commitment to everybody that we would make sure that everyone got paid 100% of their salary for the foreseeable. And this was before we knew about furlough, yes. but it was really for us 
um, you know, if we don't have, well, you'll know in hospitality, if you don't have a team that mm. trusts you and believe that you've got their interests at heart, then you've got nothing. You know, honestly, yeah. it doesn't matter how good the burgers are, how good yeah. the concept is. It, it doesn't matter. It's in their hands every day. So, um, yeah, we kind of put them first pretty quickly. didn't we? Pretty much from from that, we literally gave a team update on that exact day. And, and as everyone knows, furlough wasn't even a thing at that point. And um, that from that point on, we basically thought, OK, well, our restaurants are closed. What do we do to keep our customers interested? So that was the next thing for us team kind of sorted customers. What's next? And to keep our brand alive, really. So we um, immediately switched. We had a project going on in the background anyway, and that project was to create our retail sources, which we had been working on throughout the whole of 2019 anyway. Just It just so happens to everyone in the world that, oh, we've just pulled sources out of our, like, <laughs> out of thin air and just made this whole thing. But we had been, it was a huge project for us. So that was bubbling in the background. Um, but we thought, okay, well, a great thing to do would be to create these meal kits. Let's package our burgers, put them in a box, and let's just send them across the whole of the UK and see, and then make our website transactional. People can buy it online and we'll just send it out. And then we, um, everybody across our whole of our business, including production, was at home. So we didn't have anybody working for us. So the only thing we could do was me and Neil, again, going back to those days of packing, making everything in 2016, we were literally doing that again, except into a box and sending it across the so whole. So you were doing everything from your flat again? So the, well, the, we went to the office to do it and just okay, yeah. up. But yeah, pretty much it, it was just us. And then at the time, um, there weren't many uh, like career services working also at the time. Or if they were, everyone was jammed. So it was really hard to get a new account with a courier service. So we ended up just doing a London service and me and Neil would literally drive them around London ourselves. So I was in a little car, <laughs> Neil was in the little van, and then we'd have like a little list of addresses that we'd have to go to that day. And then we optimized the list of addresses so that we were doing it in a certain order. Honestly, it felt like being like day one again, like we were starting mm. a whole new business. It's amazing new- how quickly though, like you adapt and yeah. like how like, you just go into like fight or flight and you're like, right, well, yeah. this is it now you're doing it. Like if yeah. you'd, if you'd, you like, there's no way you would have even like how quickly it was basically sped up that sort of like the home boxes and your, and your sources of how it went from like, oh, this is a project in the going. And they were like, no, this is going out tomorrow. We're doing yeah, it. Pretty much. It, it was. Yeah. And, it, and you know, we could either have sat there and just been like, oh, well, everyone understands that it's COVID time. Yes, people understand to a point, but then they're not going to understand after that. So we thought yeah. well, the customers kind of really need to still access us. We don't know. There, there was no kind of communication from the government with regards to how long this is going to continue, right? None of us really knew. So we thought, well, we've really got to do something. So it was pretty much an overnight decision. And we were just like, okay, let's just do it. And luckily people responded to that and they really, and then the meal kits became like a a big thing for 2020. I think everybody Mm, loved having a little bit of their favorite restaurant at home. Um, We That sort of eventing at home an occasion mealing yeah. um, became yeah. such a well all you bloody had to look forward to was your meal exactly <laughs> like, I, even like non-foodies or your zoom quiz oh no don't I'm, not doing ever. I'm never doing one again I'm never doing one again <laughs> but like I remember even yeah like even like non-foodies and like friends that I had that like totally never really cared about well always yeah. cared about food but it wasn't like they didn't they weren't like they weren't like they weren't like us they weren't like yeah. foodies yeah, yeah. we're like 
oh, like I'm having this for dinner, I'm cooking this. And I'm like, yeah, because it's all you do in your evening. You just <laughs> consumed by like, what am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to have for lunch? What am I going to have for dinner? It's yeah. all you have to look forward to. So it was so important. So yeah, you guys having to adapt that quickly is just like, it's so amazing. And I think like, well, the fact that you like had all the orders coming in as well just shows that like what you like people still really, really wanted your stuff. Um, people were amazing, yeah. Our, so, our, yeah. our customers were amazing. They, their feedback, again, much like the first few days, their feedback is what kept us going. Yeah, like, oh, course. nice, thank you so much. Because we were literally delivering it by by hand, in yeah. person. So the fact that people saw that we were making that effort, I think, really extended to our customers. Oh, my gosh, thank you, Virgoco, for you know, bringing my food to my door. Cause it was at the time where people didn't really want to leave, you know, everyone yeah. were leaving their houses. Maybe it was difficult for other people. So they were almost relying on our service yeah. then. Also so became, like, yeah. yeah, a whole other thing really. Also, I really believe that people buy people and yeah. like you turning up with your, like your kits, like it says way more than I'm just a vegan burger. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. Passion drives so much. And when, oh my I God. See, yeah. when I see brands who really care from the inside and out, I think it really shows through. Yeah. So that's something we've always tried to do, whether yeah. it comes across or not. I guess you you can only tell through the response from your customers, right? Yeah, 100%. Like, there's no way I could work at a company that I wasn't passionate about yeah. and didn't care exactly. about because I wouldn't sell exactly. half as much yogurt as I do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyways... Speaking a bit more kind of, I guess, present day. So obviously we're hopefully saying goodbye and seeing the back end of COVID now. Yeah. Um, you know, never say never, but let's really hope. Yeah. So I'm assuming all your sites are back open for obviously indoor dining. And did you see like a big bounce back? Um, and are you kind of happy with where, where it is post COVID as well as like pre? Yeah, well, we we are lucky in the sense that we we skipped a step. We, we managed to also throughout um, 2020, we actually pre-signed the lease prior to March for our Brighton store. So we were about to open our Brighton store in April. And then that news came th- through on the 23rd of March or whatever it was. So we were like, okay, let's hit pause. Yeah. But then Brighton ended up opening um, in July and when the world started opening up again and then went into the eat out to help out phase and and then into September and towards the end of 2020. But it ended up being um, the most phenomenal store for us. And that was primarily because nobody could go anywhere. So when you're going for a nice little weekend or you you want to celebrate in the UK or get an Airbnb or whatever, um, people were going to the seaside. So Brighton became people's go-to place which we obviously prior to March, we had already signed the lease. We didn't know how important that site was going to be for our business, but it ended up being the most important thing that we had ever, ever done because of the shift in the way that consumers were kind of um, interacting within the UK in general. So we, um, as a result, the the store has been, and the, the team there have just been phenomenal and it has literally just kept us going throughout this whole time. The energy in, in the whole of Brighton is phenomenal. And we have the most beautiful site and it looks really gorgeous. And, and we love it down there. And, and it has really come across really well. And I think that has been probably the highlight of everything that's gone on in, in the last kind of couple of years. I think um, it's certainly kept our energy up as, as a team as well, seeing the phenomenal results coming through in such a tri- trialing and testing time for us as a business, mm. I think. So do you have your three sites? You've got Canary Wharf, you've got um, Shoreditch and you've got Brighton. 
Yeah, exactly. But obviously, my next question is, where's next? Oh. Or is it or is it under wraps? It's, it's sort of semi under wraps it's at this like, point. It's like we're one week away from being able to tell people that's how okay. we are. Um, okay. But it's obviously UK, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. UK. We we honestly can't wait. I think because of the shift that we've seen in people and the way that they're kind of traveling around the UK a little bit more than than usual. Um, okay, so I'm getting seaside by. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, you know, along the same kind of yeah. headspace as when we made the decision to open Brighton. Okay. In the sense of outside yeah, yeah, yeah. London. I think yeah. London's just in a bit of a weird place, you know. It'll obviously recover. London's an awesome Of course, city, but, yeah. Um, it's probably got another, I reckon, at least 12 months of being a little bit weird. Uh, oh, for sure. For and, sure. and areas that used to be busy are now not busy. Areas that used to be not busy are now busy. It's like, it's a little bit weird. So I think it'll yeah. take a bit of time to settle and then we'll probably jump back into another London site at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds super exciting. You guys are expanding like quite rapidly, which is so fun. Like I think working in like a fast paced food business is just like, it's so up my street. So yeah, it sounds super exciting. Um, I was just thinking then like where um, we, like as a, obviously a plant-based brand as well, where we over-index in like yeah. our shoppers is always, yeah, it's Brighton. Yeah. It's, um, it's also Edinburgh. Okay, interesting. Um, it's also massively Bristol. Nice um bristol and then where else is it there's a couple of other locations that we do super well are you in, sure like, you want to be um, giving all of this information away zoe <laughs> yeah i'm always up for helping where we over next obviously london is massive for us our brand awareness yeah. is the biggest in london um we do the most events here anyway but yeah brighton bristol yeah. um and edinburgh seem to be the places that we do we do well as well but anyway food for thought food for thought right Well, um, no, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it's one of those locations that are on the same wavelength um so okay so you've spoken a bit about kind of expansion and then what what else is next so you've got your sources in retail um are they are they in their in-store yeah, yeah so we started them and we started selling them online throughout the pandemic like june 2020-ish is when they they kind of launched into the world And then um, we managed to get into a few really nice, gorgeous retailers like um, Planet Organic, Whole yeah, Foods, Foods. Selfridges, that kind of thing. Um, but we are so excited. We're about to launch into a, a bigger retailer in September. Um, so we get that kind of nationwide delivery aspect to, to our kind of delivery, which we've kind of lacked because people don't necessarily want to go on a website and just buy one vegan mayo that they, they want to buy it with their shop. So it was a quite important thing to us that we kind of gain that one retailer. So we've been working really hard on that in the background and that's hopefully coming into, into yeah. play then. So that's going to be awesome. That's a big thing for us actually. And, and we're really, really excited about that. It's an interesting shift actually going from having like, um, I guess quite a, it's uh, having like a presence like on the high street to yeah. then being like it's also it's a totally different way your business will work because yeah. it's, uh, it's like you're going into retail so you're now you're now a brand that you're selling rather than like oh I've gone for dinner like it's obviously yeah. a totally different way of operating yeah. like you don't you don't need a chef in this yes yeah. but you need a national account manager that's going to put promos yeah. in and stuff like that and exactly it, you know that sort of stuff that like 
so it's like it's very much like you're you've got two aspects to your business but also yeah. exciting because it means like there's so much expansion and so much stuff that you can like scale up and and go into yeah. Um, I, I think there's been a huge, it's been so nice to see the customers who love eating with us in the restaurant buying kind of a meal to take home with them. So we have that that nice aspect where people who are already invested in us kind of, you know, go that little step further. But I think it's the vice versa where someone walks into a retailer and picks us up over others. That's the kind of aspect that we need to obviously work on going forward and make sure that people really understand, oh, why would I buy the Virgoco's mail? Who are they? And I think it's that touch point of, you know, sampling and getting out there and talking to consumers on a, you know, people who've never even heard of us and, and have no idea even who we are and reintroducing ourselves again and getting people to understand, you know, what yeah, it is. Yeah, totally. I think you'll yeah. see, you'll, I've definitely noticed a lot more over the last sort of year, 18 months of more, I guess, like one of the big examples is uh, Pizza Express, right? And Nando's as kind of two kind of restaurant chains that have now got even a, Pret though yeah even and like Pret. You're, you're, Pret seeing have granola. It, yeah, you're seeing it more and more and more and I think yeah. it's just I guess it's additional revenue stream but also yeah. brand awareness it, you know it's diversification of your business because I guess especially I know you guys didn't do it because of COVID but in light of COVID I think a lot of brands have started thinking about that a lot more I mean yeah. I guess well, the other channel is e-com which for you yeah. is you know slightly different I know for Coconut Collaborative it's also quite challenging but I think generally people are trying to diversify their core business yeah. and but as, but as, yeah totally but as I said earlier it's like it's tapping into that sort of eventing at home yeah. Like people are buying their prep granola to have at home because they're not commuting. They're not getting it on the go, go pot anymore. Yeah. So they're making up their overnight oats with what they love, which is prep yeah. and having that little bit at home. So it's like, it's continuing on that sort of like, I still want my out, but I want it in. Yeah, that's exactly the thread that we've been going on. And we've been taking that kind of aspect of social media where people before we would be showing people this is what you can have at our restaurant. But now we've been taking that kind of content and making it more relevant for people. Okay, you can have this, but we've adapted it for all the things that you can buy at home and really easily just with our smoky bacon vegan Mm. meal. And then you can make this on your barbecue or have it with your friends or whatever. And I think it's nice that people have that dual aspect where they can celebrate a brand or have some have a little bit of what they love but you know at home I think it's um super yeah, nice definitely um Sam do you have any other questions I just have one and this is this is my philosophical question quota. oh here we I go usually have like we go. One <laughs> I always think of like veganism and as you said you guys I guess came in when clearly it was around before you guys invented your invented logo yeah. and it, it's been a concept for a number of years and it sort of steadily increased it I guess at the point where you started it started to increase quite rapidly in popularity yeah. and scale right. where we are now in my head I'm not vegan neither of us are vegan by the way but yeah. we like we eat a lot of vegan food but I think there's still quite a long way to go in terms of kind of education around, you know, you don't have to be a vegan to eat vegan food or just like you don't have to be a vegetarian to eat veg. How do you think brands, and I guess part of you is trying to do this, but there's like this whole educational piece around how do you get people to understand that? Because I think we, we sort of touched on it earlier, but it's like people, there's like this perception of veganism and vegetarianism 
and kind of it's like it's still not normal i think it's getting there but there's like this still this kind of stigma that sort of surrounds it how do you as a brand kind of try and educate people that that is not the case because clearly you've got a lot of loyal customers right and they're you know they're you love them they're great they're the people that give you all the feedback and they come to your restaurant they visit you regularly but there's also this whole other like group of millions and millions and millions of people who are still like i don't get it how do you as a brand or as a restaurant and now a kind of a consumer goods brand how do you try and tell consumers and get them to change the perception that is the million dollar question. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, Sam, if I had the answer, I'd be selling more yogurt. <laughs> but we don't own a brand, right? So we can think about it and talk about it. But if, like, yeah, yeah. If, from your perspective, how, like, or how are you trying to go about answering that question? I think, um, I think there's a few parts to that. I'll, I'll take the like the the parts that I think can answer the parts. So I, um, what we try to do every single day is um, reach that those millions of other consumers through um, through our already existing connections. And I know that sounds a bit a bit crazy or you know a little bit off the cuff, but I think the way that we've always tried to get people to love what we do is through the food that we serve and get, just get people to try it. I'm never going to be able to convince anybody in in the whole of the world that this is great by telling them it's great. It doesn't mean anything. My my opinion is nothing. I I need your opinion to be be the one that makes sense. So I think that's what we've done from right from the word go. That's something that, you know, even back in the day, nobody came to our pop-up because they were vegan. Maybe they were a little bit curious or maybe this is new or cool or different or something that someone brand new is talking about that they really value. So I think that the aspect of social media really plays a massive part in what we're talking about here and having people who wouldn't necessarily eat this way or maybe consider it a little bit, you know, on the edge or or whatever, maybe not part of their normal life, but suddenly try something and then, I guess, validate that in a sense for their market or their um, pool or audience really would make that make sense in a, you know, in a, the wider aspect of those millions of people that we're talking about that we wouldn't necessarily link to every day. So I think social media has a massive, massive part. Quality of product has a massive, massive part in that. And I think um, just the authenticity in the way that that brand speaks to those people with that product and then linking those two things is what's going to make that all make sense. In my mind, that's how we try to do it anyway. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we're going to automatically reach that person. I think you also need millions in the bank in advertising. I think that's the way that some massive brands have really obviously being able to reach that barrier through kind of, you know, amazing um, sports or, you know, athletics or any, you know, any person who can validate their message of, of, you know, 20 grams of protein in every burger patty. Great. You're going to reach a whole new audience by, you know, someone awesome saying, do you know what? I've switched from beef patties to these patties because they have the same amount of protein great, you're going to reach a whole new audience through that messaging. So I think that also helps. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple of things as well. Is um, I was a huge meat eater before starting this business. So I, I still know what that feels like. I still know, you know, what I used to think of people who were vegan. It's just like, you know, why would you, why would you not eat meat? I didn't understand. Um, so I think we're still kind of fresh in that sense and we still have that knowledge and that experience. But we, 
we did a few things on social media. Like one of them that sticks in my mind is we had um, Rachel went basically hunting down um, people who liked talking about fried chicken. So she went on a bunch of like what well, the influencers, those types of people, yeah. um, and they had like you know different reviews of different chicken places. So she got them in, but didn't did it through an intermediary. So so they didn't know who we were, and they didn't know what they were coming to try, and it, they didn't come to our restaurant. We did it somewhere else. So we basically gave them our vegan chicken dippers, um, and we basically got them to film a little thing and you know talk about what they were eating and all of that. And it's quite funny because that was super genuine. It wasn't staged. It wasn't like scripted or anything like that. And the people were genuinely like loving it. And they were talking about it going, oh, this is amazing chicken, like juicy. And we and then at the end, you tell them it's vegan and it's like, oh, okay. Hmm. So that's, th- those little things are great. Um, and they really, you've got to show people, like Rachel said, you can't just tell people to come and eat this. You've got to just go, just eat it, just try it. And then tell them you don't like it. Um, so I think that's one aspect, but then I think we've got this like wider thing, which is much bigger than us, which is like a convergence of all sorts of different things like sustainability, climate change, um, you know, genuinely, we haven't quite got there yet. I don't think the government's brave enough yet to kind of put their flag in the sand and say, hang on, veganism is a big part of the, of the future of the way we need to move and, and we all need to eat less meat. So there's too many people they'll upset by saying that. But um, I, I think genuinely we're going to get to a point pretty soon where we can't talk about sustainability without talking about food because um, it's, it's like the biggest part of it. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, we're kind of heading to a crest of a wave and I think pretty soon it will start to become very, very normal for people to eat less and less meat. Very good answer. Yeah, well done. totally agree. <laughs> I think for, for me, the interesting <laughs> bit, which no, none of us can affect, right, is the, is the government kind of the, the bigger piece because it's the yes. hardest yeah. thing. And we, we can sit here and say whatever we want to say and think whatever we want to think. But yeah. ultimately, the power yeah. is in the hands of people that in reality... Yeah have no real vested interest as it currently stands to change anything so you know people there's lots of people who in power who do care about climate change but it's it's you feel powerless and uh, as a brand owner that must be really frustrating because you're trying to do good for the planet for your customers for, for everyone and there's like this big kind of immovable object in the way that in theory should try and help you but isn't (laughs) so yeah i i think we're also pretty sensitive to the fact that um you know the the meat industry that they're not bad people you know it's it's like there's so many there's thousands of farmers there's thousands of you know great people wonderful families who've done this for generations so we're also trying we also are really sensitive to that And, and i think obviously the government can't just you know wade in and make sweeping changes and we've got to we've got to obviously bear in mind that you know making massive changes really fast is going to impact lots of people um so that there is there, it is a slow process but i think um there just has to be a gradual change in the way we do things um especially when you, you're talking about mass mass produced things that's where it gets really problematic because you yeah. know there, there is no sustainable way to do that it's crazy <laughs> It's like everything, isn't it? Like literally everything in life. Yeah. Anything of too much is bad. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. We are going to close with some quick fire questions. So right. the idea is to kind of just answer them as quickly as you can. Whatever like comes to your, um, basically the forefront is basically what comes out and what you mm-hmm. say. So I will start. Then Sandy, a second. Yeah. 
Oh, you're on mute, Sam. Oh, I was going to say, you're going to need to remind me what the questions are because I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> okay, um, I'm happy right, to do them all then because it will just make it easier. Um, so what is your favourite product that you've created? Uh, for me, spicy, cheesy sauce. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Mm. Does it have to be? Uh, <laughs> um, no, it doesn't. Oh, because I really love the um, crackling burger that we have on the menu right now. The It's like pork crackling, but obviously completely vegan. And the process of making it and then seeing customers eat it. When you see the whole process, it's just mind-blowing. I love it. Oh, we have to come to oh, get one of them, Sam. It's crazy, honestly. Please, it's so come, please come and get it. Oh, we will. Yeah. Um, what's the best bit of advice for someone wanting to start their own product or brand or restaurant? I think for me, it's just being really crystal clear about what you're trying to create, why you're trying to create it. Uh, is there a gap for it? You, you can't just come out and do something that's the same as everything else, mm. with no story or message or, or defining reason why you're different or why your customers should buy it. So I think it's just really being careful that you don't just come in and do another Me Too product. Yeah. yeah. What are your favorite food brands at the moment? Uh, I'm pretty obsessed at the minute with uh, proper chips, oh, but they're lentil. They do a oh sort of vinegar yeah, lentil one. It's we ridiculous. Are addicted to them. <laughs> Every flavor, barbecue, salt and vinegar. I love them. Literally and actually, them. we should say this, and this isn't set up in any way. Um, Coconut Collaborative Custard. Custard. Is next, next ridiculous. Level. Next oh, level. Oh, yeah, I love it like too. A, like an apple crumble unbelievable God. yeah it's so good we, we <laughs> bought this vegan apple crumble and we were like oh it was it was very well positioned next to the apple crumble yeah, of course that was and we probably up, thought like, out oh, by an account manager it's vegan <laughs> so nice and then we picked it up it's so tasty and, unreal and genuinely like if you if you eat a product like that it does make you stop and go well why would i not have this vegan custard it's it's why would no anyone different. want something else perfect yeah yeah loved it Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> um, what's the one thing you'd wish you'd known before you started your career? Doesn't have to necessarily be in the food industry, but just generally like, yeah, your career. I, I think it's so easy to forget, especially when you're um, looking after a team and, and looking after customers. And then when you have investors in the mix and then suppliers, it's so easy to forget that you have to look after yourself in, in the sense of, um, you know, making sure you're taking care of your own mental well-being. And if you don't look after yourself, well, the, the whole chain is going to fall apart anyway, in, in the sense of, you know, that there is nobody to kind of hold it all together. So I think um, that's definitely along, you know, over the five years, something that I've certainly learned mm you know and we still struggle with you know we obviously always put everybody first and everyone is our number one priority but then you get to a weekend and you're like I, I haven't had a break I haven't slept I haven't been on holiday I haven't looked after myself in how many years and then you stop and you think okay you, you really need to take care of yourself Rachel what are you doing mm. I think that's so important yeah. For me, um, it's the realization that you don't need to have it mapped out at 18. Um, I've changed direction, and you have to an extent, yeah. me, me probably more so because I'm less decisive. 
Um, but I've changed direction like four times and, and it's fine. You know, I, I'll probably change direction again in another five or 10 years. So um, I think you just, you just realize that life isn't this like straight line and you don't have to do like one thing, then this thing, then this thing. And then you get to this magic place at the end. I think it just, you just, well, I'm still learning. Rachel's quite good at it, but it's just learning to like take everything in along the way and realize mm -hmm. that it just goes in this massive zigzag and, that, and that's fine. Um, and if you want to yeah. go that again and do something else, that's fine too, you know? Yeah, I think society, especially being a woman, Rachel, it's like, okay, right, you leave school, you know, you have a bit of a career, you get pregnant and then you have your baby and then you're you're at home and it's like, well, you know, some people don't meet the love of their lives till they're 40 and then want a kid. Like, you can't decide when you're going to do all these things. But obviously, yeah, when you're young, you're like, yeah, this will happen, this is my plan. And it's like, mm, no. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and yeah, I think that's a whole other topic that we could definitely yeah, get into know, on a deep is. level. So I, I won't, but yeah. No, I but you're right, yeah. But yeah, just take it in your stride. Take it each day because life's short anyway. Um, what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Um, I'll go quickly. So I... I did really well at school. I was just one of those annoying kids who just found, I found like 11 to 16 school really easy. And I, oh, I hate saying that. You were that, one like, of them. I was one of those. And I, I didn't do a ton of work. I, it kind of just came quite easily. And then I got to the next level, which went in my day was AS. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, you're right. I don't know. I'm speaking like I know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and I, uh, I picked, I picked subjects, um, and one of them was accounting. My dad was an accountant. I thought, all right, I'll give that a go. Don't really know what I'm doing, but I'll give it a try. And I, I basically found the difference between that and when I was 15, 16, massive. Like I, I'd suddenly gone from finding everything quite easy to finding everything really difficult because I didn't have those basic skills in like knowing how to work hard, knowing how to like be patient and dedicate time to, to making yourself good at something. I, it kind of just happened before. Um, so I was really lazy and I, 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 it basically smacked me for six. I, I failed, I literally failed with a U, um, unclassified um, in my don't accounting. Worry, I did. I yeah, and, well. and it was like the first time that had ever happened. And it just like, it really did knock me back. Um, and it knocked my confidence, but it also it was around the same time I was kind of getting closer to Rachel and Rachel's like the complete opposite. Rachel works like a train always has, and is like, you know, works very hard for everything she's done. So she, I, I learned so much from just seeing her and her sister actually, it was exactly the same. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's, that's basically changed my life because everything since then I've had to work my ass off for, and um, yeah, nothing's come easily since then. So mm -hmm. You kind of it's a good skill to learn i think i can't be just <laughs> <laughs> well thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast it's been super interesting super insightful and just really lovely to chat to you both like such a lovely couple so um yeah having... thank you so thank much thank you so much for having us you two are amazing and thank you for everything that you guys are doing we really really appreciate it thank you Please remember to follow, subscribe and leave a review as it really supports what we do. See you guys next time.